This is the Rocky Mountain Review Tuesday, February 2nd, 2021. I'm your host, Dakota Babcock. And I'm Ivy Winfrey. And you're listening to KCSU Fort Collins. On today's show, Ellie Shannon will be updating you on campus news, and then I'll be giving new updates on local news. KCSU Sports has prepared some highlights from CSU's volleyball press conference, and then I'll be delivering national news before speaking to Avery Ackelbine from the CSU Slice office. Then, Cuddle will be giving updates on COVID-19, and then we'll be doing a live read of a piece written by Cece Taylor of the Collegian related to Black History Month at CSU. To conclude the show, Ivy will be updating us on the strangest things happening on, in the world. Let's move right into campus and local news. Hey everyone, this is Ellie Shannon reporting for the Rocky Mountain Review and KCSU, and we are on our third week of school in the first week of February here. We're in the start of Black History Month as well. President Joyce McConnell announced that the African American Cultural Center will be holding many virtual events throughout the month. So make sure to check those out on their website, which you can find at baacc.colostate.edu. Wastewater testing is still being continued through the university, and new data is now allowing health officials and wastewater partners to access the data through a dashboard created by CSU, according to Jamie DeLoss of CSU's College News. This data is also available to the public, showing spikes in areas or new cases of coronavirus. So make sure to check those out. Students who are looking for housing next semester can attend the housing fair, which is taking place on Wednesday at 10 a.m. For more information on the housing fair, you can visit olc.colostate.edu. And for more information on available local housing, you can visit rentalsearch.colostate.edu for more details. Make sure to tune into CSU's men's basketball game Thursday at 7 and women's at 6 p.m. on February 4th. Thanks for listening to the Rocky Mountain Review and KCSU. I'm Ellie Shannon, and you're listening to 90.5 FM. Hello there. My name is Ivy Winfrey, and you're listening to 90.5 KCSU. This is your local news on the Rocky Mountain Review. Jared Polis announced at a press conference Friday that Colorado is moving to vaccination phase 1B.2, which now includes educators and is beginning on February 8th. According to Molly Bohannon at the Coloradoan, included in this phase are Coloradoans aged 65 to 69, essential government workers, and pre-K through 12th grade educators. Polis provided details about the vaccination plan and change in phases, saying he believes all Colorado educators will be vaccinated by February 28th. Polis said of this, quote, This is a next big step. We're moving on to be able to get anybody aged 65 and up vaccinated, along with our teachers and educators that so many of us rely on for our kids' future, end quote. The state will use about one-third to half the vaccines received to vaccinate educators until the process is complete, Polis said, adding that he expects it to take a few weeks. He did not have an estimate for when educators at universities and community colleges will be eligible for vaccination. Colorado's Labor Department on Thursday began notifying the first group of -of out-of-work Coloradoans that their federal unemployment benefits are getting ready to start. According to Tamara Chung at the Colorado Sun, at least 170,000 people on unemployment saw their benefits end on December 26th, after the federal CARES Act relief programs ended, 
The new relief plan was sent by President Donald Trump a day later, but took weeks to get Colorado's new computer system up and running and programmed to disperse the new benefits. Those include 11 weeks of extended benefits to those who had exhausted their claims, plus paying an additional $300 per week for 11 weeks to anyone eligible for unemployment pay of at least $1 a week. Now, with the system finally running, emails were sent to an estimated 230,000 people informing them. Members of a private Facebook group for the unemployed in Colorado also began sharing the emails from the Department of Labor. Those on pandemic aid who had not used up their benefits on December 26th could reopen their claims on Monday, February 1st to request a payment. The $300 weekly bonus, known as the Federal Pandemic Unemployment Compensation, will be paid automatically, according to the email. A man has been taken into custody and charged in connection with a shooting that occurred in the 300 block of Sitzman Way in Fort Collins. According to a Larimer County press release, on January 30, 2021, at about 12.30 a.m., 911 received a call reporting a shooting. The adult female victim and a witness fled to an area grocery store and were met by law enforcement and medical personnel. The victim was transported to an area hospital and underwent emergency surgery. LCSO deputies and Fort Collins Police Services officers responded to the grocery store in the location of the shooting. Larimer County Regional SWAT also responded, and a perimeter was established around the home on Sitzman Way as a search warrant was being prepared. Just after 5 a.m., Larimer County Regional SWAT entered the home and contacted the adult male suspect. He was compliant and was taken into custody at approximately 5.48 a.m. The man, identified as Geoffrey James Lewick, was booked to the Larimer County Jail on allegations of attempted first-degree murder, first-degree assault, and criminal attempt. Anyone with information regarding this incident is asked to call Larimer County Sheriff's Office at 970-416-1985 or Crime Stoppers at 970-221-6868. That's all for right now. I'm Ivy Winfrey, and you're listening to 90.5 KCSU. We'll be right back with sports news here on the Rocky Mountain Review. If you are a current CSU student and would like to be a part of KCSU FM, go to kcsufm.com backslash training to be a live DJ, podcaster, or reporter. This is 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins.
Good afternoon, KCSU listeners. It's Jonathan Gillen for KCSU Sports. And to start off, let's let's talk about one of the biggest stories in Colorado, if not national news, is the Nolan Arenado trade. Nolan Arenado is considered one of the best third basemen in all of baseball and could be one of the best ever in history. And he was traded to the St. Louis Cardinals. There is a large amount of fan uproar because the details of the trade are the Rockies are also paying $50 million while trading Nolan Arenado for a handful of players. That's as far as the information I have understood yet. Next, great weekend for the CSU Rams basketball teams, both men and women. The men's went one-on-one against uh, Boise State, but the ladies went with a clean sweep against Boise State. The men's are now 12 and four on the season and the ladies are a 12 and two. Next, volleyball is back. The first game of the year is this Friday at 7 p.m. That broadcast can only be heard here exclusively on KCSU FM. And we had a press conference on Monday and coach Tom Hilbert spoke about the upcoming season and all of his expectations and what we might see. And let's take a listen. Well, I would say I've got longer hair than I did last year because of the 14 months it's been since we played a match. But uh, we're excited to get back. Excited just to get give kids the, the competitive experience again, you know. And they're excited. And I think a lot of people were were wondering, you know, would the players be excited to get back in an empty gym without a lot of fans in it since that's such a signature mark of CSU volleyball? The answer is yes, they are. They all want to get out and play. They are ready to go out and play matches, compete against people, and do what they came here to do. So I'm pumped up to to help them do that. Tom, your program has a long tradition of outstanding middles, and this year you're going to hand it to two youngsters. Does that make you nervous as a coach, or are you pretty confident in what you've seen? Well, you know, they're going to be young, and it, until we get out and play other people, I'm not going to know the real answer to this, but they've been pretty good in our practices. They Each of the two freshmen have a, you know, have certain things they do really well, that if we're able to execute those things uh, against opponents, you know, they'll be successful. So, what, what you don't know is how much will nerves play a part in it, um, you know, and, and when they start playing against offenses that they don't see, uh, how will they adjust, those kind of things. And we, we just have to live with that. Uh, I know we're going to have some point giveaways there. We're going to we probably aren't going to rack up the blocking numbers that we normally do. But it's not due to lack of physicality. Both of these athletes are, are good kids that play high in the air and do really good things in terms of you know, their speed and blocking, uh, they just have to get a little bit better fundamentally. So if you go into the season and you don't expect them, you can't expect them to be the blockers that Paulina and, and Kirsty were, how important is it to have the experience in your back row that you have playing defensively? No, it is really important. And, and the back row has been good. And, and they, we've been playing better floor defense in our practices anyway than we have in a long, long time. And that's, it makes rallies long. It makes things exciting. So it is important to have that. And I think they'll do a nice job working around some of the blocking issues that we may have. Um, and it isn't, you know, and it isn't just the middles, Mike. That's what's important to note. You know, we have one 
returner with a lot of front row experience, and that's Brianna Runnels, who is doing a nice job blocking in practice. But you got to remember, we also lose Katie Olexak was the best blocking setter in the conference for four straight years and, and maybe one of the best in the country in that position. And, you know, we, you get kind of spoiled with a player like that. Sierra's a big, good blocker, but, uh, you know, she's, it's not going to be the same. Tommy um, kind of mentioned it's been a long, long time since a match. Who's more excited? The players are you to, to have some real competition. I actually think the players are, I think they really are. I mean, I, I see the need for it. I've seen the need for it for a long time. I and mean, we went through an entire, you know, 11 weeks in the fall where we needed to play somebody outside of ourselves and weren't able to do it. Um, so there's, from a coach's standpoint, you really start work once you start playing people and it helps you understand, okay, here's what we've been seeing in practice, but we really didn't have it completely right. Now that we've played people, Let's go back to the drawing board and work on some other things. And that's coaches need that. And I think players need it too. I think players need to have that, that real pressure. Like there's real consequence now in winning and losing and uh, everything that I do contributes to that effort. And so they learn a lot from it. So, but I would say that they are more excited to get out there because you, you know, you have seven players on this team who've never played a collegiate match before. They don't know what it's supposed to be like. They just want to go out and start. Yeah, obviously, you know, so many kind of new pieces. Normally the the non-conference would be kind of when you iron out some of those details, but with such a, you know, abbreviated season, obviously if, if things, you know, go haywire early, it can um, disrupt a, a Mountain West title bid. Just how different is this season going to be this season gonna be with, with that? Well, you know, I think what you said is correct. But I think worrying about it is incorrect. You know, we have to develop a team and, you know, we have to look at this. It is 16 matches and yes, they're all of equal importance, but you still have to develop your players. You still have to go try new things. You, you know, we're, we have a lot of work to do and a lot of growing to do. And I would love to win a conference championship. I think everybody's in the same boat we're in, but uh, you know, I, I'm, if I, if I just worry about, oh, we've got to be great and super consistent from the get-go, we have five, we, we lost five starters. There's no way that's going to happen. So it's really about developing people and growing throughout the course of this 16 matches and hoping that uh, that's good enough to win a championship. How how strange is it going to be and maybe difficult for you to, to not have, you know, the fans and stuff in the building when you're playing? Well, probably the worst part of that is the players will actually be able to hear me now. <laughs> um, so I think uh, it, it's going to be strange. It's going to be interesting. We, you know, we did a little scrimmage with all of the effects and everything on Saturday, just so we know what it's like. It was, it was interesting. And, and I felt like, you know, they, number one, they have a hard time hearing me because of the mask. So I'm yelling out stuff through this mask. They can't hear what I'm saying. I, and so I think you're going to just see a lot of people, a lot of coaches just sitting, giving signals, that kind of thing. The players are going to have to create their own energy um, out on the court. And, I, you know, hopefully they'll do that. I mean, we, we've told them that that's what they're going to have to do. This is not a, a, a deal where they get this great Moby Arena to help them energize every day. They've got to do it on their own. 
Coach, like we've all said, it's been over a year, you know, 14 months since the last games have been played. How quickly do you expect both the Rams and the opponents to shake off the rust? Well, that's a good question. I mean, I would think that we have as much practice under our belts as anybody does in the league. I know there have been some teams that haven't been able to practice hardly at all or they've been practicing in very small pods. So how long will it take? You know, I don't know. It's going to take us probably a little while because we're so young, but we have had some, some good, you know, strings of, of consistent practice, which is good. So it's, you know, I think that question ought to be asked of me in about a week or two weeks, and then we'll see where I'm at. Coach, you've attested to it obviously a few times about how, long it's been and I know you guys got the fall but even before that as a head coach how did you stay connected to your team well we tried to meet with them on a regular basis virtually and we we met with them as often as we were allowed to under the NCAA rules it's interesting because the the Christmas break was a longer period of not talking to them than all of the spring and summer, because we were allowed to go through spring and summer and have meetings on a regular basis. That was a a variance that the NCAA allowed us to do, Um, but we couldn't do that over Christmas break. So, you know, we, we tried to stay together, giving them different, you know, leadership training. We, we did a little leadership book club. We, uh, we had speakers talk to them. We, we asked them to go out and create, find creative ways to do workouts and come back and share them with the group. Um, so we tried to keep everybody together, including the new incoming players in the summer, they were involved with us. And so, you know, we, we've done everything that we, we can, I think, to keep these guys together. And I think it's worked. I think we still have good chemistry. We have players that, that like each other, like to be around each other in practice, certainly. And, um, you know, those, so, so we've done, we did a lot. We didn't just let it go, uh, organically. They, they were, t- talking to each other a lot and working with each other a lot through that, through doing that, you could tell, you know, this was the first time that a lot of them have had sports taken away from them for any extended period of time since they were very young. It was different for them. And I think it, it, it it actually made them sort of look inside and be really introspective about why they love to play volleyball. And uh, hopefully that's, that's a good thing. Hey, Tom, is there anything that, that you guys had to do because of COVID that you, you know, maybe realize is a good way, you know, that you'll keep doing um, whenever things are back to normal, you know, just in any yeah, type I, of. No, that's a good question. I think that um, there's been some things that have happened in recruiting that I hope continue uh, a lot more access to video during recruits competitions. Um, and a lot more uh, virtual meetings and things like that with recruits, which I thought were very positive. I think that, you know, being able, teaching everybody about Zoom and Microsoft Teams and everything, even when we're out of COVID, those are some good ways for me to have an individual meeting with a player and talk about video, for example. There's only so many hours in a, in a work day. But, and then I, you know, in the old days, we wouldn't come back down here at seven o'clock at night and pull up 15 minutes of video for me and Jackie to watch, for example. But that can be done now, you know, you just pull it up and I'll share it with her on the Zoom screen or the, or the team screen. So you can do a 10, 15 minute quick video check-in with a player at seven o'clock at night. And I think 
those are the kind of things that uh, we, you know, it's become obvious we can do those and we probably will continue to do them. Once again, that was a coach, Tom Hilbert of the CSU Rams volleyball team. And once again, their first game of the season, they have a doubleheader, will be this weekend. Both games are Friday and Saturday, February 5th and 6th, both at 7 p.m. And both are exclusively broadcasted live here on KCSU FM Fort Collins. Heck yeah. And if you're missing more sports, we have three sports shows now officially Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m., as well as more content and fun entertainment can be found at kcsufm.com. That's all I have for sports. I appreciate all the listeners. For KCSU Sports, I'm Jonathan Gillum, and I'll catch you next. Today, I am joined by Avery Ackelbein, who is the Student Marketing Coordinator at the Student Leadership Involvement and Community Engagement Office, also referred to as SLICE. So to start off with, can you introduce yourself a little bit? Tell me your pronouns. Yeah, of course. Um, Hello, my name is Avery Ackelbein. My pronouns are she, her, and hers. I am a third year student at CSU studying ecosystem science and sustainability. Um, I've worked in SLICE for two years now. Last year, I worked in the President's Leadership Program, just kind of overseeing applications for that. And this year, I am the Student Marketing Coordinator for SLICE. So yeah, that's just a little bit about me. All right, so for those who aren't aware, what is the SLICE office and what do you folks do there? Yeah, so the name is super long, which is why we abbreviate it for SLICE, but kind of says it in the name. We like to think of SLICE as the Student Involvement Hub on campus. So we have student leadership, we have involvement opportunities and ways to engage with your community. So what are some of the benefits of getting involved on campus? I like to think about it just as finding your community. Um, There's no one specific right way to get involved. Um, We have over 500 registered student organizations. We have so many volunteer opportunities, even in COVID times, students can get involved in. Our president's leadership program is still active. And yeah, getting involved in through SLICE will just help you find your community at CSU. And um, I think that's super important and makes anyone's college experience a lot better. How can students access the SLICE office, either online or in person, if they're curious about getting involved? So SLICE is currently all virtual for spring semester, and our office hours for calling in are 8 a.m. to 5 p.m., Monday through Friday. So it's a pretty open time frame to um, call in and ask a question. Um, And if you are part of a registered student org already, you are able to go into the SLICE office um, between those hours as well. There are people in there, but we, we are limiting our intake of student contacts just for safety reasons. I also oversee all of the Slice social media. So um, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all of them you can find by searching Slice CSU and then whichever social media. And um, I can answer any questions you have or direct you to anybody or direct you to people I know who have the answers. Uh, if you want to send me a direct message, um, that is one way as well. And yeah, I recommend First, getting in contact with our front desk staff. They know any question that you have. Um, They know how to answer that. And again, if they don't know the answer to it, they can direct you to somebody who can. That's 
my best advice. And our website is linked to all of our social medias. We have kind of a link tree set up as well. But if you go to lsc.colastate.eu forward slash slice, that brings you directly to the website. So um, a bunch of different ways if you want to do virtually um, speaking to someone on the phone or anything like that. All right. Thank you. Also, if, if someone just isn't quite ready to connect with student orgs this semester, but really wants to reach out to SLICE and get a head start for next semester, how will SLICE help them to prepare for their later involvement? One of the greatest things that SLICE has to offer, in my opinion, is our involvement advising. Even with COVID, we have virtual individual involvement advising appointments. So you go to the SLICE website and go to involvement advising, which is in one of our menu tabs. And you can sign up online and pick a date and time that works for you. And you will meet with one of our four involvement advisors and have just a quick half an hour conversation with them. Prior to that, you fill out a quiz with all of your passions, um, anything you're interested in, something you're studying. So pretty in-depth quiz. And by the end of the involvement advising call, you have pretty much a game plan to get involved with SLICE and you can begin doing that at any time. So even if you're not ready, right, when you get that sheet pretty much with everything that connects to you back to it, that your enrollment advisor uh, research for you, you can save it and research or reach out to student orgs anytime that you want. And then speaking of COVID, um, how has the SLICE office previously been able to connect students to organizations and how have they done outreach prior to the pandemic? I think this is the same for pretty much every, um, anything that you can think of. Uh, A lot of in-person, face-to-face contact. All of our involvement expos were on campus, on the plaza, outside of the Lori Student Center. Um, All of our external presentations were given in person. The slice office was open um, and students could walk in and ask their question in the LSC and walk out. So a lot of that face-to-face contact is now gone, as with most things. classes are mostly on Zoom and everything like that. So I would say that prior to that, it was a lot of face-to-face contact, but SLICE is still trying to make an effort to provide students with easily accessible resources, um, just not as much face-to-face. All right. And then can you just explain a little bit more about how SLICE has really moved to accommodate students, especially students that aren't on campus and are maybe even in other states during COVID-19 because of the restrictions? Like I said, we're pretty much all virtual. Um, A lot of students, for example, who are incoming or transfer students um, have gone onto our virtual involvement websites who haven't obviously been able to tour the campus and participate live in anything or in person in anything. Um, So all of our online um, expos have had opportunities and I would like to also promote that this is through admissions as well. And Slice is just kind of a part of that, but SLICE has given a lot of live Zoom presentations to students all around the country and even a few out of the country. So even if they're not able to make it to Fort Collins at that exact moment to tour and to go into the office, SLICE is still trying to inform students about getting involved um, virtually. Have you found that the SLICE office has more of a different or more important need to the CSU community since students are now unable to really make connections in their in-person classes since most classes have moved either hybrid or completely online? Absolutely. Even though we are physically distant from each other, I feel that we shouldn't be 
um, emotionally distant from each other. I think that's something that is really important to actually not do in these times because isolation is really hard sometimes, especially in winter. Um, and just reaching out to people and connecting to your community is a really great way to check in with yourself, check in with others, and just kind of lighten your mood and make life just a little bit easier when possible. For our last question, as a student yourself, what do you think has being involved with Slice done for you, either personally, socially, or professionally? Yeah, so um, I love talking about this when I give presentations as well. Um, like I said earlier, last year I was um, working with InSlice, a program called the President's Leadership Program, and I actually got my Slice job by knowing that there was an open availability space, uh, open space um, to apply through the President's Leadership Program. I took a call to lead, which is the first year of that. And because of that program and because I learned so many amazing things through the program through Slice, I was inspired to change my major and um, completely change my goals for my career path in the future. Without that, um, without PLP, I wouldn't have applied to Slice. I wouldn't be learning about, I mean, even just working in Slice, I've learned so many more resources for myself um, as a student. And I feel so passionate to be able to try and tell as many people about it as possible because it's hard to know what you don't know. As a student, it has really helped me just kind of not only find my community at CSU, but just find um, a future and opportunistic path for myself. And then do you have anything that you want to add about your experience at Slice or within other student organizations? I would say that the primary thing to keep in mind at when you're approaching Slice or even any program at CSU is that the people involved want to help you so badly and want to um, provide you with all the resources that will just make your experience so much better. So just going in it, I know it's kind of going in with the idea that, I mean, it's kind of intimidating talking to new people and taking that step to reach out, but just doing something, our kind of motto at Slice is do something CSU. So even just taking that step to go and realize that these people are specifically here in this program and this um, space within CSU specifically exists to help students and to help students have a better time at CSU. Okay, I advice that I would give is just to remember that everyone within Slice has their job and got their job because they are so passionate about helping students and connecting students with their own passions, just making sure that all the resources at CSU are being utilized. Make your time at CSU better because what it's all about, because having the best college experience possible is something that Slice wants for every student, so. All right, thank you. Again, that was Avery Ackelbein, who is the Student Marketing Coordinator at Slice, also referred to as the Student Leadership Involvement and Community Engagement Office. Thank you so much for your time again, and then we'll be right back.
KCSU thanks Tribal Rights for their continued underwriting support. Tribal Rights is located on College Avenue in Old Town, Fort Collins, and is a full custom tattoo, body piercing, and jewelry studio. Learn more at tribalrightstattoo.com. And we are back on the Rocky Mountain Review. You just heard from Avery Alkobine, the student marketing coordinator at Slice. If you missed any part of our show so far, feel free to tune in after the show on the KCSU FM Spotify or at kcsufm.com slash news. I'm Coda Babcock, and this is National News for Tuesday. Two FBI agents died and three were wounded after a shooting Tuesday while investigating the site of a child exploitation case in Florida. According to Terry Spencer and Mike Balsamo from the Associated Press, the incident happened around 6 a.m. in the Water Terrace neighborhood of Sunrise, Florida. The neighborhood involved is described as a middle-class neighborhood and includes duplexes, single-family homes, and apartment buildings. The federal authorities were there to serve a search warrant related to violent crimes against children. The suspect died during the shooting as well. The suspect's name has not been released, and neither have the names of the deceased agents. Law enforcement was deployed to the surrounding neighborhood in Sunrise following the shooting, as well as the hospital where the three injured officers are being treated. The U.S. Chemical Safety Board said that the investigation into a deadly gas leak at a poultry processing plant in Gainesville, Georgia, may take multiple years. According to Jacqueline Diaz from National Public Radio, the leak at Foundational Food Group's poultry plant last week poisoned six people and sent 12 others to the hospital for treatment. The nitrogen leak occurred due to a ruptured line that carried liquid nitrogen, which the company says is used to freeze chicken. The investigation is currently incomplete, and the chairwoman of the Chemical Safety Board has said that the investigation could take several years depending on the factors involved. The investigation is mainly focused on preventing future leaks from happening, as the U.S. Chemical Safety Board does not have the authority to find the plant. A shooting in Oklahoma killed five children and one adult. According to John Bacon of USA Today, the shooting occurred early Tuesday morning and resulted in a shoot-off between the suspect and police in Muskogee, which is about 45 miles southeast of Tulsa, Oklahoma. The suspect fled the scene and was arrested after an on-foot chase. One adult man and four children were dead at the scene, and another child died at a hospital due to injuries. A woman is also currently receiving treatment due to life-threatening injuries. The suspect has not been named as of this morning. The U.S. House of Representatives launched an investigation into JBS and other meatpacking plants for a lack of care for workers' health during the COVID-19 pandemic. According to Natalia Navarro from Colorado Public Radio, Representative James Clyburn, a Democrat representing South Carolina, stated in a letter, quote, The Occupational Safety and Health Administration, or OSHA, failed to adequately carry out its responsibility for enforcing worker safety laws at meatpacking plants across the country, resulting in preventable infections and deaths, end quote. In this letter, Clyburn says that OSHA failed to respond properly to complaints against facilities related to unsafe practices. The letter also included concerns over Tyson and Smithfield Foods as well as JBS, which has a plant locally in Greeley, Colorado. 54,000 plant workers tested positive for COVID-19, and a minimum of 270 died as a result. Six of the deaths involved local JBS employees in Greeley. Under the new administration, OSHA is now being urged to prioritize protecting meatpacking workers. Clyburn also sent a letter to JBS on Monday requesting documents to continue the investigation. JBS has multiple outbreaks in both a corporate office and a beef plant. Before we move on to Maddie Erskine's interview with the Runaway Grooms, 
we wanted to ask our listeners a new question for Vox Pop. What are some underrepresented people and events in Black history that you think should be more well-known? You can call 970-491-2388 if you want to respond. You can also tweet us at KCSU-FM to be featured. Again, that question was, what are some underrepresented people and events in Black history that you think should be more well-known? Now, for Maddie Erskine and the Runaway Grooms. Hi, my name is Maddie Erskine, local music director, and welcome to this week's Virtual In Studio. Today's segment is with the Runaway Grooms, a five-piece band based in Vail Valley, Colorado. First, if you all just want to introduce yourselves, your names, your pronouns, and what you play in the band. I'm sorry, Rob. Hey, uh, I'm Zach G, and I play bass and vocals in the groups. My name is Zach Siak. Uh I do backup vocals, do some slide guitar work, and some electric guitar. I'm Adam Tobin, and I do uh, lead vocals and guitar as well. Awesome. So you recently just played a show at the Globe Hall. Um, what was it like playing a show during COVID? It's super exciting. Dude, that was, <laughs> yeah. that was awesome. Uh, we were... Man, it initially, like, we played two sets. Uh, first set was like, whoa, this is really weird because, you know, we have a 250-cap venue with, like, 40 people in it, you know, and, like, and also we haven't played a lot. Show yeah. before Globe Hall, we hadn't played since, um, since Halloween, Yeah, you know, and so that's, like, two months for, for us, which is yeah. quite some time um and but it was it was awesome um it was so good to play in front of people uh play on stage again with each other and like share the music that we've been working on since we haven't been playing out we're just like writing 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 so we're able to share a lot of music that like hasn't been released yet or anything Mm -hmm. like that so that that was really cool that was amazing i mean the challenges during covid are I mean, almost devastating for a band yep. like us. We love feeding off the energy, having the people in the crowd, uh, even not even having people standing up. That's so weird. It was <laughs> really strange. But yeah, because people are like sitting, like um, distanced. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah distant. And, and, you know, even at Globe Hall, I mean, thankfully, you know, that they're open and hosting, yeah. a- able to, you know, host some some live music, but, you know, to follow, like, you know, every yeah. what, ordinances, is that, would that be the right word? But like, they have to like abide by certain rules, <laughs> meaning like you can't just get up and go dance around the venue, like, <laughs> which is really strange. Yep. You know, it kind of feels restricting from a band standpoint, but also like the crowd's like, oh, we just want to, we just want to get up and dance, you know? Yeah. 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 They're just dying that expression going on. And, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely um so you have a very jam band feel to your music what is your songwriting process like is there like a lot of improv um improv involved in that and just kind of jamming out or yeah yeah the it depends on the song um but typically we do like to jam and we like to get together and um just let things kind of pour out and sometimes something really cool will pour out and we uh we say hey let's run with that and 
it's a difficult thing to then turn into a composition because um, you got five cooks in the kitchen and everyone has a, an incredible vision of, of how they think the song should go. Um, uh, but, but sometimes it really clicks in the, in yeah. the band room and we're able to come out with, um, with some cool stuff. Other times we found that it helps when someone composes the idea beforehand, brings it to the group. And um, what we do then is we play it. And we were talking about this yeah. the other day. Yeah. It's pretty interesting. Like uh, our revision process, mm. if you will. Totally. It's like, we'll play a song the first time and we think like, man, this thing's jamming. And we'll come back in the next practice, revisit the same thing. And I don't know, we were, <laughs> we love to just pick apart our own stuff and really, uh, really try to dial it in. Which is collectively in the writing process is, I think how we've been so fortunate to come up with like a, a final product that we're very proud yeah. of. You know, it's like sometimes we go in and workshop songs, like sometimes it's like weeks and like months, like workshopping the same song and it's just like, uh, there's something that's just not, mm -hmm. it's just not ready, you know? And, mm -hmm. and then, and we've had so many of those that just kind of like got put to the side, you know? And yeah, sometimes we come back to them and sometimes we don't, but um, yeah, it's, it's, it's very much a song by song basis in the songwriting process, but the improv is like, to my favorite part yeah. where it's like, okay, here's a loose structure and here's our in signal um of like somebody plays this or whether it be <laughs> an organ part or a drum fill or something and it's just like that space between is organic and happens it happens in the moment so it's like it may never happen again like yeah just how it happened mm -hmm. which is so cool that we can it feels gratifying from our perspective in terms of uh, not being like stale, like having something flavorful and like something to look forward to, to create that's brand new every show. Yeah. Um, and then it's also like, you know, coming from an audience perspective is like, you might catch like this, like super fire version of like Thunderfuck. <laughs> yeah. Something that's like, we've never done before. And it just so happened to work out that way. So it's, it's like, um, you know, when you say the same word over and over again, and it mm -hmm. starts to sound really funny the more you say it. Yep. Same thing with me. Like, the more we do a song, like, over and over again, we start to kind of question it. And then, yeah, just it needs it, to change really to feel natural again. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Totally. What have been some of, like, your favorite shows that you've played in the past? We've got some pretty fun stuff. We, uh... Way back when, when we were like just starting off, we we did this uh, yoga session at the Ford Amphitheater. Like really, really strange. We weren't sure what we were gonna do, and so we were coming up with all this like really interesting stuff. And there was like a hundred people up on stage, and we just had to play like really soothing music. Uh, I don't know if it's like my all-time favorite, but it was just such an exercise. Yeah, yeah like, something you'll remember. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it, it ended up being great. Like, it was so much fun. For me, really my favorite, most memorable show would would be my first show with the grooms, which was yeah. Party with a Porpoise. Our friends threw this 
This was pre-COVID. Yeah. Uh, I guess it was the very end of November or mm-hmm. December of last year. Wait, no, 2019. Was, yeah. yeah. Um, and so Party with the Porpoise, what, they threw a benefit to benefit SOS Outreach. We played, but it was my first time playing with them with like no rehearsal, <laughs> like set list stuff going on. And, and I kind of, I came to the band from Nashville. So it's like, out of that, it's like, we kind of have in our Nashville group, we had a performance, mm-hmm. you know, and you know, you have that performance and you go put it on to the T wherever you go. And then this was like, I, I was like, I was like, you know, what songs are we playing? And we're, we don't know yet. We'll figure it out when we get on stage. <laughs> and so, you know, we get on stage and Adam's calling out. He's like, yeah, it's an E major. You know? And, and, like, and all this, the wall people too. This, this like, place yeah. is just packed. Just like a couple hundred people just like squeezed into uh, Bell Brewing Company. And that was probably my favorite, most memorable show. Definitely. Um, very cool. Mish was very cool as well. Mish the cool. Mish is awesome. Yeah, Mish is definitely up there for me just because of the uh, the environment and the atmosphere of that show. And because it was um, definitely one of our most like intimidating gigs as a young band. And mm-hmm. up on this for so many incredible performers have, have done it. But I think one of my favorites was um, we were playing, we got asked to play at this houseboat party on this lake in Tennessee. <laughs> And it turned out being like a group of 70 kids our age, five different houseboats. Oh, wow. And they all linked in the middle of this lake. And we performed two nights for them, for these crazy people. Um, they're not, well, they're kind of, crazy, <laughs> but they're, they're all our friends now. The Narvale crew is what they call themselves. That's super <laughs> fun. Getting out there was an adventure. Probably 2,000 pounds of music gear in our truck, just like driving out to Tennessee. It was a blast. That was an experience. Yeah, that's awesome. What impact do you want to have with your music? And like, what do you hope listeners and fans can take away from it? I, I, I like uh, basically the freedom of expression and the, mm-hmm. the, the freedom to be yourself and come as you are, really. And like, that's kind of, that's the approach that we take as a band is this organic approach of like, you know, really we're just a bunch of homies, a bunch of friends, you know, just having a good time and loving to play music. And, and I personally hope to that that's conveyed and and people uh, were able to share that with other people and um, for people to just feel comfortable expressing themselves through the music that we create. So that's that's it for me yeah I do think that like a lot of our best gigs like when we're playing the best is when we're really tight-knit with the crowd that we're there with and we're just everyone's feeding off it like the biggest impact I would I would love to have is just that people can feel what we're feeling up on stage there through the music. yeah yeah in a in the best way possible yeah yeah that's pretty much for me too yeah just um, providing a, a positive experience for people is there anything else you'd just like to let listeners know um upcoming show you got at chippers <laughs> oh yeah yeah <laughs> Dude, we're so stoked about chippers we mm-hmm. went there for like uh bowling with the bands yeah like, like a um thing 
And what a cool venue. Like we were so, we're so stoked to go over there. It's so the unique. Yeah. It's so unique. And, um, you know, just the whole Mish crew and, and mm-hmm. Danny and them, they're just great people. Like definitely we played all around and the hospitality that in like, it just gives me goosebumps talking about <laughs> it because they're so kind. Oh, they're absolutely. So yeah, of course, Chippers Lane, uh, February 20th. Um, but for me, we're, we're pushing out, um, piece by piece, part of our sophomore album, which is the first time the world has really heard the five piece yeah. for in the, like been seeing Colorado shows during COVID. And so that, that album is called Zoetic Revival and we're releasing live tracks that we recorded mm-hmm. throughout 20 um all of which are in Colorado and um you know it's cool because it it's organic it's live it's imperfected it's it's who we like currently you know are as a five piece and Mm -hmm. I really love that so um we just released the first single off of that which is see where you land um, we have our uh, carry me home, carry me home is yep. coming next. Which, well, I, I don't know. I want, Which listeners I will get to hear in this podcast? <laughs> yeah, awesome. Yeah, yeah. Well, awesome. It was fantastic to talk to you all. You as well. Yes. Good to meet Same. you. My name is Maddie Erskine, and thank you all so much for tuning into KCSU. If you missed any of this segment with the Runaway Grooms, you can find it up on our website at kcsufm.com. Again, that was Maddie Erskine and the Runaway Grooms. Next up, we're going to be hearing about COVID-19 and Black History Month. But first, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Music is a sample element of every city around the world, but unique to every community. KCSU will showcase a part of our international local music exchange, a radio show and podcast collaboration with college radio stations around the world. All participating stations are sharing their local music community with the world. Listen to the podcast at kcsufm.com. And we are back on the Rocky Mountain Review. I'm Coda Babcock, and you just heard from Maddie Erskine in the Runaway Grooms. Now for COVID-19 updates. Florida State University has a cumulative total of nearly 2,100 cases of COVID-19 in faculty, students, and staff. The university has so far avoided a spike related to move-in and the start of the spring semester. Students, staff, and faculty who are on campus for at least one class per week are expected to get screened once a week. For more information, you can visit covid.colostate.edu. 
Larimer County currently has nearly 18,000 cases of COVID-19 and 200 deaths related to the disease. There have been over 300 outbreaks in the county, which is currently at a high risk for COVID-19 transmission. On the state's dial framework, Larimer County is at level orange, high risk. There have been 43 new cases in the past 24 hours, and every day in the past two weeks has seen over 15 new cases. Only one day in the past two weeks has seen over 10% of tests administered come back positive, but the county's 14-day case rate is high at nearly 300 per 100,000 residents. There are 35 COVID patients currently in the hospital, and overall hospital utilization is at 58%. ICU utilization, which nearly met capacity last week, has gone down to 74%. The county's case rate is at an overall downward trend, which means that fewer residents of Larimer County are testing positive. Colorado has nearly 400,000 total cases of COVID-19 as of Tuesday morning. There are a total of 5,600 deaths among cases, and 5,300 of those deaths have been linked specifically to COVID-19-related complications. There have been over 3,500 outbreaks in the state, and 2.4 million Coloradans have been tested for the virus that causes COVID-19. Nationwide, there are over 26.3 million cases of COVID-19 and over 440,000 deaths. In the past two weeks, cases have decreased by 29% and deaths have decreased by 2%. Hospitalization also decreased by 21%. Homeless populations continue to be hit hard by the pandemic, but 47 states have reported overall declines in new cases despite the recovery the discovery of new COVID variants in several states. Internationally, more than 100 million people have been infected with COVID-19 and 2 million people have died globally. Information for this segment was gathered from Colorado State University, Larimer County, the Colorado Department of Public Health and Environment, National Public Radio, the New York Times Live Coronavirus Tracker, and the Centers for Disease Control. The only current ways to protect yourself from COVID-19 without both doses of the vaccine include washing your hands for at least 20 seconds with soap and water regularly, using hand sanitizer, avoiding touching your face, wearing a cloth face covering or medical grade face mask, staying at home when possible, and maintaining social distance when interacting with others outside of your household. I'm Coda Babcock, and that's all for COVID-19 updates. Now for a live read of C.C. Taylor's Collegian article discussing the Black and African American Cultural Center's plans for Black History Month. In about 10 minutes, we'll be talking about new changes in tech companies. This article is titled BAACC Plans Black History Month Events. It is written by C.C. Taylor, who works for the Collegian. February marks Black History Month in the United States. When many take to remembering important people and events in African-American history, Colorado State's University's Black and African-American Cultural Center has planned multiple events to celebrate the month. First is the Real Talk series. The BACS Real Talk series will take place every Tuesday at 4 p.m. throughout the month. This February, the series includes I'm Black and I'm Proud on February 2nd, What is Love? Black College Relationships on February 9th, Black Activism, Where Are You, on February 16th, and We Are One, a collaboration with Africans United and the Black Student Alliance on February 23rd. All of these talks will take place over Zoom. Being Black and series, the BAC has put together events every Thursday that will highlight the diversity of being Black, according to the BAC website. The series includes Being Black and Educated on February 4th, Being Black and Religious on February 11th, being Black and a Young Adult and Professional on February 18th, and Being Black and African or Islander 
on February 25th. All events will take place over Zoom. Keynote speaker, the back has called Wesley Hamilton to give a speech on February 17th at 6 p.m. According to the back website, Hamilton will talk about his life after becoming paralyzed. The website reads, quote, he's an award-winning athlete, entrepreneur, influencer, and awesome father. Hamilton's story will not only inspire you, but will also change your perspective on life and how everyone can find their passion. The speech will take place over Zoom, and a link will be with a link stated to be available soon on the back website. There will also be a luncheon. The back has planned a luncheon at the Aspen Grill on February 11th and 12th. According to the back website, the menu will consist of cornbread and honey butter, along with the choice of a Carolina-style pearled chicken sandwich or a fried catfish sandwich with remoulade, with sides and desserts. Those interested can call 970-491-7006 for takeout and dine-in options. Another luncheon with black faculty, staff, and students will take place on February 3rd at 11.30 over Zoom. Additional events. In addition to the weekly events throughout February, the BAACC has planned multiple other events to celebrate the month. From generation to generation, the role of spirituality in the struggle for justice with Arison Stanfield and Pastor David Williams of Abyssinian, Abyssinian Christian Church Abyssinian Christian Church will take place on February 21st at 3 p.m. over Zoom. Partnered with El Centro and the Pride Resource Center, the back will host Bachata Nights on February 23rd and 24th at 6.30 p.m. Those interested will register with back closer to the event. Africans United and Black Student Alliance present Africa Night is on February 27th at 7 p.m. via Instagram Live. The live will take place through at Africans United CSU on Instagram. United Women of Color Presents the Hair Show will be on February 28th at 5 p.m. For more information about the events, those interested can email the back at email the back at B-A-A-C-C underscore email at mail.colostate.edu or call 970-491-5781. C.C. Taylor can be reached at news at collegian.com and you can read her article at thecollegian.com. Special thanks to The Collegian for allowing KCSU to use C.C. Taylor's piece. The Rocky Mountain Review will be right back after a quick break with tech news, weird news, and of course, the weather. If you missed any part of the show today, you can listen back on our Spotify at KCSU-FM or online at kcsufm.com news. In a land plagued by COVID-19, where will we find sports? With the dark of night closing in, who will be our beacon of hope? KCSU Sports, we got you covered all fall with the hottest news and all the action. Two exclusive sports shows, Monday and Thursday, 7 to 9 p.m. Start off your week right with the sports pod and end it on a good note with Ramblers. Only on 90.5 KCSU. And we are back on the Rocky Mountain Review. Before the break, you heard COVID-19 updates following a live read of C.C. Taylor's piece for the Collegian regarding Black History Month events planned by the back at Colorado State University. If you missed any of these segments, feel free to listen in on our Spotify after the show at KCSU-FM.
Now for tech news. After wage theft allegations from the Federal Trade Commission, Amazon will pay $61.7 million in a settlement to flex drivers. According to Russell Brandom of The Verge, the settlement represents two and a half years of allegedly withheld tips based on an extensive investigation into Amazon Flex's base pay system by the FTC. Amazon created the base pay for its flex workers by using tips, despite claims that employees would be guaranteed a base wage between $18 and $25 per hour, with 100% of tips being received and given directly to drivers as tips. The company received hundreds of complaints following driver suspicions related to a decrease in earnings. The FTC announced its investigation in May of 2019, and the practice was discontinued in August the same year. DoorDash and Instacart held similar base wage policies, which were reversed in 2019 as well when the LA Times addressed the controversial system. Google is settling with the U.S. Labor Department as a result of hiring and wage discrimination. According to Brian Fung of CNN Business, the settlement is over $2.5 million and was announced Monday. The settlement will go to around 5,500 people who have been employed by Google or who'd previously faced discrimination after applying at Google. This settlement is in response to discrimination particularly against women and Asian applicants for engineering roles, as well as wage gaps found to be disproportionately impacting women working in software engineering. In a release, the Department of Labor said, quote, Google agreed to enhance future compliance proactively and review its current policies, procedures, and practices related to hiring, compensation, conduct analysis, and take corrective action to ensure non-discrimination, end quote. Car company Tesla is planning to recall a significant amount of Model S and X vehicles built between 2012 and 2018 as a result of malfunctioning touchscreens. According to BBC News, the National Highway Traffic and Safety Administration requested that Tesla recall the vehicles in January. Model S cars affected include sedans built between 2012 and 2018. Model X SUVs impacted include those built between 2016 and 2018. The issue involves a memory chip, which can impact rear-view camera capabilities and alerts related to indicators and the autopilot feature. The recall will include a reimbursement for car owners that have already paid to replace this chip. Uber announced Tuesday its plans to buy Drizzly, an alcohol delivery service. According to Chaim Gartenberg of The Verge, the deal is worth around $1.1 billion, and Drizzly will eventually be integrated into the existing Uber Eats platform. Uber has recently shown a focus in delivery rather than transportation. Last year, the company sold autonomous vehicle and flying taxi divisions and previously tried to acquire Grubhub and Postmates, with only the latter being successful. That's all for Tech News. Now, for Weird News with Ivy Winfrey. Hello there. My name is Ivy Winfrey, and you're listening to 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. Sometimes, we need to get a little bit weird with it. So here's some weird stories I've found from around the world today. Microsoft has patented the idea of making an artificial intelligence that would turn a deceased person's personal information into a chatbot. According to Siraj Kumar at Science Mint, the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office has granted Microsoft a patent for a filing titled Creating a Conversational Chatbot of a Specific Person. The patent describes creating a chatbot based on the, quote, images, voice data, social media posts, and electronic messages, and more personal data, end quote. 
A chatbot can then be modeled on the person in question, allowing them to converse with others via a computer. The discovery of the patent's existence by news outlets sparked discussion on social media, with people comparing the AI to technology found in the dystopian science fiction television show Black Mirror, in which the episode titled Be Right Back depicts being able to make a robot that behaves like a dead loved one based on information scraped from their social media. Microsoft has not yet announced any plans for this patent. The Texas, Texas Department of Public Safety mistakenly put out an Amber Alert for two fictional characters from the horror film franchise Child's Play. According to Amanda Cotron at KPRC2 News, an Amber Alert, an alert designed to report child abductions, was sent out Friday featuring Glenn and Chucky, two living dolls from the Child's Play horror franchise, complete with images taken from the franchise. According to the Amber Alert, Glenn Ray is described as having a, quote, blue shirt and black collar, end quote, and Chucky has, quote, blue denim overalls with a multicolored striped long sleeve shirt, wielding a huge kitchen knife, end quote. The number on the Amber Alert flyer also does not work. According to Ruben Medina from the Texas Department of Public Safety, the alert was a test that was mistakenly sent out while working on their development servers. A college student taking an online course attempted to email his professor only to find out his professor had been dead for two years. According to Matt Grillo and Selena Ross at Canadian Television News Montreal, Aaron Asuini, a student at Concordia University, was taking a course on Canadian art history, which was taught via recorded lectures and had a question about the course. He went looking for his professor's email address, only to instead find his professor's obituary. Aswini posted his experience on Twitter, saying, quote, Hi, excuse me, I just found out that the professor for this online course I'm taking died in 2019, and he's still technically giving classes since he's literally my professor for this course, and I'm learning from lectures recorded before his passing, end quote. His professor, Francois-Marc Gangan, was an expert in Canadian art history who had been asked by Concordia to develop an online class years ago. However, it appears that Concordia had continued to use his class after his passing. According to Asuini, no students of the class had been informed that their professor for the class had passed away. Under its collective agreement with the Faculty Association, Concordia has a 10-year license on work. One McGill Law professor, Richard Gold, says those policies are different from university to university, but in general, the work belongs to, to the professor, with the universities also claiming a license so they can use it. Gold said, quote, Each one of us professors hold the copyright in whatever we produced, but to the extent that it's useful for education. The university gets to continue to use it for a period of time, or forever, depending on the university. End quote. Concordia wouldn't comment on the particular agreement for Gangon's videos, but it said that the right to use the school's online course material depends on several elements, including standalone deals it can enter with course developers. And that's all for today. I'm Ivy Winfrey, and you're listening to the Rocky Mountain Review on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. We'll be right back.
You're now tuned in to Championship Baseball here on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. Team A taking on Team B here. What's the weather like down there for first pitch, Horace? Thank you, Boris. Looks like we're going to have a cool, crisp 42 degrees for first pitch. We're in for a wild night of baseball here. Luckily, everyone here is tuned in to 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. For more, they can go online, read a recap, listen to a podcast, or listen to KCSU sports shows. Found at kcsufm.com. Thanks, Horace. Thanks, Boris. KCSU always has, always will bring you sports. And now for the weather. Today we experienced a high of 63 and a low of 34 with mostly sunny skies throughout the day. Some clouds coming into play. Wednesday, you can expect a slight temperature drop down to a high of 59 with a low of 27 with a 10% chance of rain and a stark increase in wind speeds which will reach up to 20 miles per hour. Thursday, the clouds will roll in with another decrease in temperature with a high of 40 and a low of 25, again with a 10% chance of precipitation and winds reaching over 20 miles per hour. And that's all for today. We just wanted to thank Damien Castile for our amazing theme music that's playing right now. We'd like to thank Thomas Taylor, Asher Korn, Stephanie Keel, Hannah Copeland, Addison Lambert, Elliot Hutchinson, Jonathan Gillum, Ben Kruger, Ben Haney, Dixon Lawson, Peter Walk, Taylor Sandal, and the rest of the staff here at KCSU and Rocky Mountain Student Media. We couldn't do this without you. And I'd like to thank you, Coda. And I'd like to thank you, Ivy. And finally, we couldn't do this without you, dear listener. Thank you. And with that, we'll see you next time. This is Justin. And this is Allie. And we're from the band Zebrahead. Zebrahead. And you're listening to 90.5 KCSU. Yeah. Oh.